My brothers and sisters. Who would possibly believe Mary? You're telling me that after 400 years of complete silence from God, no prophets, no angels, no revelations, no nothing, that God finally breaks his silence through Gabriel to who? A, a, a lowly, uh, impoverished peasant girl named Mary. Where? In the tiny backwood hillbilly town of Nazareth? Who would possibly believe what she said? That God himself was now going to become a human being and be a fetus inside of her. Who would possibly even listen to her and not want to shun her or even execute her for getting pregnant outside of wedlock, which was a crime punishable by death back then? Who, should, who could she talk to? Not her parents. Not her friends. She wasn't going to tell Joseph about this. I think Gabriel probably told her uh, about her cousin Elizabeth because Elizabeth probably was the only person that could possibly understand. Also happens that uh, Elizabeth is the only person in the world that is miraculously pregnant at that time. And so Mary catches the first donkey out of Nazareth, takes a trip that would have taken at least days, maybe weeks, to the hill country of Judea. And she is, so many questions are going through her, her mind. Why me? Why now? Is Elizabeth going to believe me? Is she going to let me stay with her? How is this all going to work? And, and she goes and knocks on Elizabeth's door and calls her out her name and what happens. Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit and the baby inside of her leaps for joy because he knows that his master is here. And Elizabeth goes to Mary and, and Mary doesn't even have to tell her the situation. Elizabeth already knows because God told her, blessed are you. You are more blessed than all women, and blessed is the, the fruit of your womb. Because when you came, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who has believed what God has told her. And just like that, Mary's fear begins to melt away, and joy takes its place. A joy that can't be contained, a joy that she has to express. And the way that she expresses her joy is through a song. We have a fancy name for it. It's called the Magnificat. And this, this transcendently beautiful song and profoundly theological song is how she expresses her joy. And she begins it like this. My soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Here Mary is telling you the theme, the purpose, and the content, and the title of her song. Where is Mary's joy from? Is it from the fact that, oh, God chose me and not those snooty girls who made fun of me? No. It's not that, oh, I'm awesome and everyone's going to know who Mary is. Now, no. It's that God is her Savior. See, Mary not only understands, she embraces the fact that she needs a Savior just as desperately as everyone else. And she looks and she sees in her womb, God, her Savior. You know, the song, Mary, did you know? Mary, did you know that the one you deliver would soon deliver you? Yeah, she knew. That was her joy. But, but if you look a little deeper, uh, I hate to break this to you, but uh, Mary's song is actually not a, a Mary original. It's kind of a remix. Uh, every single part of Mary's song is actually uh, either directly quoting or alluding to Old Testament passages. And this one is particularly fascinating because Mary is not the first person to say this. You know who was? Hannah. 
a woman who lived a thousand years before her, and you can read about her in 1 Samuel chapter 1 and 2. If you don't know Hannah's story, I'll give you the Spark Notes version. Uh, Hannah was an Old Testament Hebrew woman who couldn't give her husband any children, which, which was the ultimate shame and dishonor and nightmare of that time. And what made it even worse was that her husband married a second wife, and that wife gave, her, gave the husband a ton of children. And that wife really liked to let Hannah know about it. And it got so bad one day that Hannah went to the temple and poured her heart out to the Lord. She prayed so intensely that the priest there actually thought she was drunk. And she said, God, if you give me a son, I will give him back to you. He will be raised in the temple, promising that, you know, she didn't want to have a son for herself. She wanted to have a son for God. And God said, yes. And so as, as Hannah is carrying her child in her arms, as she's on her way to the temple to dedicate uh, this little boy that would one day grow up to be one of the most important people in Israel's history, an uh, extremely important leader, she realizes that God has taken a woman who wasn't even the most important woman in her own household and made her the most important woman in the whole nation. And then she sings a song, and she begins the song almost exactly word for word like this. And as Mary looks at her situation and the fact that God chose her, she sees herself as a second Hannah, a woman that used to be dishonored, a woman that no one knew or no one cared about, and God has taken someone down here and brought her up to here and used her to be an instrument of a miracle a son. Mary sees herself as another Hannah, a woman whose joy is in the Lord and absolutely no one else, especially not herself. But why is her joy in the Lord? Why is he so, he, uh, she so joyful? For he, he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. Uh, look at that word humble. Uh, when, we, when we think of humble, usually we think of the Christian virtuous attitude that, you know, you before me, I don't want the spotlight. No, 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 you're more important than me. That kind of humble attitude, that is not what Mary is talking about. When, when she's saying humble, she's saying lowly, uh, uh, nobody. Oops. Uh, when she says humble, she's saying nobody knows my name. I'm nothing. She's not saying, well, you know, God saw that I was really humble and religious and virtuous and that I, you know, I'm, I'm a pretty good person. That's why she, he chose me. No, no, no. She's saying God could have chosen anyone. He could have chosen someone wiser, someone richer, someone with more resources, more connections, more qualified, more religious, more wise, more humble. And he chose me. Mary's joy is also in God's mercy. You have to remember that Mary knew her Old Testament better than all of us. And so when she says things like this, she's thinking back throughout Israel's history about all the times God's mercy, his compassionate action towards his helpless people. She's thinking about the Israelites in Egypt, who God took out of slavery and brought into the promised land, even though they were kicking and screaming the entire time. She's thinking of the people in Babylonian captivity, like we talked about in Daniel about a month ago and how he had mercy on his rebellious people and brought them back to the promised land. She's thinking God's mercy all the way back to the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve, the first two people that needed God's mercy as they had chosen to be Satan's slaves. And God looked right at Satan and said, Satan, I think you, you, you think you won. But there is going to be a person born of a woman that is going to crush your head. And Mary now realizes 
she is that woman. And Mary looks at the baby in her womb and she sees the extent of God's mercy. That the Lord himself, completely all-knowing, all-powerful, completely unlimited, would become vulnerable, would become small, would become weak, would become helpless would become truly one with his people, as one of his people, pleased as man, with man to dwell, Jesus, our Emmanuel. That's what that means. And years later, Mary would see the full extent of God's mercy. As her son Jesus was put on a cross, as the father had mercy on his people by punishing his son instead of his people. You know, that's why we call Mary blessed for generation after generation. That's why all Christians look at Mary and say, Mary, you are blessed, not because she's so great, but because God used her as his instrument for the most mighty, merciful miracle. But this doesn't just display God's mercy. This also displays his might. And Mary continues, He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. I think this is the most difficult part of Mary's song to understand because what is she saying? She's saying that you know, God likes poor people more than rich people? That like, you need to feel bad if you have leftover food in your fridge? She's not saying that. She is using picture language to prove a point. Fascinatingly enough, picture language that Hannah actually used in her song too. She's trying to prove the point that God is a God of reversals. He takes the normal way that human beings think about things and value things like you're important, you're valuable, but you're not. He takes that and completely flips it on its head. God casts down the mighty from their thrones. Again, she's thinking Israel history. She's thinking about Pharaoh, the most powerful man in the world that was enslaving God's people and destroying God's people. And God said, let my people go. And Pharaoh said, no. And so what does God do? And through the 10 plagues, he brings the most powerful man in the world to his knees. We think about Daniel, or, or Nebuchadnezzar, uh, the, the, the king of the, of the Babylonian Empire, the most powerful man in the world at that time, and one of the most powerful people ever. And in the height of his power, what did God do? Just like that, he took away his sanity and made Nebuchadnezzar act like a cow, eat grass and moo like a cow in the field. Showing him and everyone else that, no, the people in this world that have power, have power because I gave it to them. He casts down the mighty from their thrones, but he lifts up the lowly. Think about all the people in the Old Testament, God's, the, the history of God's people that God has taken from down here and raised up to be important. Think of King David, the shepherd boy, the outlaw, the nobody. And God made him the most important king in Israel's history and the greatest prophet and the ancestor of Jesus himself. Think about Daniel. A young, inexperienced refugee who God raised up and made the second most powerful man in the world under King Nebuchadnezzar. Think about Esther, like Pastor preached about a few weeks ago. A, a poor slave girl who God made Xerxes, the most powerful man in the world at that time, made her his wife, and God used her and her bravery to save his people. God takes the low things of this world, the people that, no, they're not that important, and does incredible things through them. And yet Mary sees the baby in her womb and she sees the ultimate reversal. That God would cast down himself from his throne. That he would be raised in an impoverished family. In a place of the world that no one would expect anyone important to come from. 
one of the lowest people of his own people. And when, when we see the cross and Jesus' sacrifice, we see the ultimate reversal, the ultimate flip of how people think. Because how did Jesus win his cosmic victory over sin and death? Did he come and slay all of his enemies? No. He won by being murdered. He won by being crucified. God takes the way that we normally think about things and completely flips it on his head. But Mary saves the most important and the most powerful and the most beautiful thing in her song for last. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. As Mary looks throughout the whole Old Testament, she sees all the promises God has made and all the people that he has made promises to. Mary makes this final point. God keeps his promises. She thinks about Father Abraham, 100 years old, no kids, no chance of ever having kids, and God approaches him and says, you're going to have a son. Not only are you going to have a son, you're going to have an entire nation come from you, and someone is going to come from that nation and redeem this broken world. She, he, Mary thinks about all the promises God has made, that, that though your sins are like scarlet, they will be as white as snow. That through the sacrifice of a perfect holy lamb, the sins of Israel would be completely gone and destroyed. That he would be their God and they would be their people. And as Mary looks at the baby inside of her womb, she sees the culmination and the fulfillment of every single one of God's promises to his people. The culmination of the mercy that God has had on all of his people generation after generation after generation. God's people have to wait no longer. He is here. That is what Mary's song is about. So if you walk away from this sermon, this song of Mary, and you think to yourself, wow, Mary is awesome. She is like a super Christian. Then you miss the point. And if you walk away from this sermon thinking, wow, I really got to be more like Mary. Mary is so humble and, and so faithful. She has so much faith. I gotta have, I, we all got to be more like Mary. Well, you're probably right, but that's not the point. Mary didn't write this song so that everyone would look at her. She wrote this song so that everyone would, see, would look at God and see what he has done for her. And so this Christmas, if you want to honor Mary, and I hope that you do, don't idolize her, don't make a, a big example out of her. Share her joy. In this Christmas season, you know, instead of putting all your joy eggs into the, am I the best cook basket, or are all my family members getting along basket, or am I going to have the best party basket, am I going to have the nice uh, feelings that, that I want on Christmas, you know, all those things come and go. And in two weeks, they're probably not even going to matter. Put your joy, invest your joy, and invest your hope in the same thing that Mary did. That little baby that she would give birth to that little voice that would one day cry out for you and those little hands and feet that would be one day pierced for you. Embrace and cherish and celebrate God's greatest gift to you, himself, given for you, to you. Amen.